Welcome to the Health and Wellness Psychiatry Podcast. This is Carousel. I am an independent licensed psychiatric nurse practitioner. This podcast will answer all your basic questions regarding mental health and go through all scientific evidence-based practices proven to reduce anxiety, improve mood, and improve overall quality of life. It is my passion to help others live their best life, and I am so excited to have you with me now. So let's begin our journey. Hello, everybody. This is Carousel. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a while since my last podcast. It's been about a month or so. I think I lost some listeners there, but you know what? Life happens, and that's really all I've got. I've just been really busy with um, opening my new practice and still taking care of my patients at the other practice. So I've just been back to back with patients all day, every day. So no complaints on that, but that requires some extra work on the side. So I haven't been able to um, record this because, well, I have been able to. I just chose not to because I was tired and didn't want to do any extra work. But you know what? I'm happy to be back. And today I wanted to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is ADHD. And I think a lot of you guys can uh, relate to it because you probably either have it or know somebody that has it. And um, I think this will be a, a great topic. I see a lot of patients in the practice specifically for this. And um, we're going to get into that. So I just want to do some life updates. I don't know if you guys like them or not, but nonetheless, I'm going to give them to you. So not too much has changed. I'm still living in San Clemente, California. I'm still taking care of my puppy who's now five months old and she's sitting next to me here, little Mercedes. You can follow her at Mercedes the mini Labradoodle. She's so cute and I try to put up pictures um, pretty often, but she's always right next to me and always kissing me and loving on me. So I'm really happy to have her. And I've got Bella as well, who turned 14 and she really just chills most of the day and sleeps in her bed. But the the dogs have been getting along uh, somewhat well. They're mostly separated throughout the day, but sometimes they, they take naps together in the room. But that's that's my life with the the dogs. They they definitely keep me company. So I I definitely would would encourage you to get a dog if you're an animal person and you're living alone. I think that that helps bring some love and joy into your life and some extra energy and um, just taking care of something helps you out and loving something helps you out. So definitely a big component of that. What else has been new with my life? Um, As I said, I recently started seeing patients at my new practice. So last Friday, Friday the 13th, was the the first day. And I was fully booked, which was very exciting. So I'm just waiting right now on the insurance companies to transfer over. It's taking quite a while to do that, but it'll, it'll get there soon enough. And then I'll open some more days at the practice and slowly um, 
transition out of my my current practice, which is Transitions Center. So that's the update with that. That was pretty exciting. I'm still single and uh, dating and just uh, enjoying the the single life and the the freedom of that. Um, I'm going to be going back to Arizona this weekend for a week at home and spending Thanksgiving with my family. So that should be fun. And yeah, I've just been trying to exercise every day. I, I'm doing the weight training now with the trainer three times a week. And when I get back from Thanksgiving, it's going to up to five times a week. And uh, we're going to get really strict on the, the diet. So the goal is to participate in a fitness competition. Hopefully um, by March, I'll be able to do that if everything goes as planned. I tried to do the fitness competition last year, but then things got shut down with COVID and um, and that had to get pushed back. So it's still going to be my goal and we'll see how that works. So those are all the, the life updates. Nothing too extreme or exciting. I'm, I may be going to Hawaii on a little uh, vacation from Christmas to New Year's, so we'll see if that works out. All right, so let's get into it. ADHD, also known as Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So where do I start? There's just so many things I want to cover. So with ADHD, there are three components that you need um, for a diagnosis. Well, you don't need all three. You can have two of them. But the three components are inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity. So usually with the kids, that's when you see more of the hyperactivity and the impulsivity. The hyperactivity usually fades out as you get older, and then you mostly just see the inattention component. And you may say, well, a lot of people have problems paying attention, and a lot of people are you know, hyperactive or impulsive. So as with any diagnosis, this, these symptoms need to be severe enough to affect two different locations, either affect your school in some way, your work, getting things done at home, or your social life and relationships. So the inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, those have to affect one of those areas or two of those areas or more in order for it to be a diagnosis. For example, if you are falling behind on work, you're not turning in things on time, you're getting fired from jobs, that's going to affect your work. If you're not doing assignments or not paying attention in class and you're you're getting bad grades, you're falling behind on school, that's how it's going to affect your school. With relationships, let's say you keep getting into arguments because you're not paying attention or because you're impulsive and you and your spouse keep fighting because of this, that's going to affect the relationships. So that's what I mean by by affecting those in a significant way. So some of the symptoms are going to be you get easily distracted, you daydream, you procrastinate, you have a lack of wanting to give effort into difficult tasks. Those are just some of the the simple ones. Um, If you guys are interested, there is a 
an easy uh, form to fill out. It's called the Adult ADHD Symptom Screener. You can just Google that. And I like to use that as a baseline. I don't use it as a diagnosis because everybody that comes to me is obviously going to test positive based off of that. So I just listen to what they say and I put that down as a baseline. So when people fill that out, I have them write very specific examples when they when they check the one of the last two boxes as to how that is a specific example in their life. For example, if they check like I'm I'm often tardy to places, then I want them to write a specific example in the last couple of weeks of when they can remember that they were forgetting appointments or they were late to appointments, things like that. So it's really good to have a baseline for where you start before you um, do the interventions so that you can see that it's working. Oftentimes with any medication, um, the it is so subtle, the effects of it, that you won't really notice a difference because you won't feel it working at the time. But if you look at your baseline from a month ago, you'll be able to then see a huge difference in comparison. So I always encourage before starting any medication to write really good examples of what's going on right now and how it's affecting you in, in those areas to see if it's working. And um, another reason is because I use that baseline to see if we need to increase the dose, if these problems have been solved or if they're more manageable now. And if so, then we can keep the medication where it's at. If not, then we can go up on the medication. We always want the lowest dose effective. So the lower the dose, the lower the chances of side effects or any potential complications. So the lowest dose effective is always a good rule of thumb for any medication you're taking. And if I start somebody out on a really high dose, I don't think they're going to appreciate that. They'll probably feel very shaky and maybe get agitated and it just wouldn't be good. So I always start on the lowest dose. I usually do two weeks of a trial of that and then um, I have them come back and then we compare how they've been doing the past two weeks with those specific examples to their baseline. So that's how I I check the how the intervention's going and if we need to either change medications, increase the dose, or keep it as it is. So ADHD is 75% genetic. So that's a big um, chunk of it. So you may get a kid that has ADHD and none of the parents do, but that's uh, more on the rare side. Now, some people, um, they they think that you can get ADHD as an adult. And you have to have ADHD as a child in order for that to be an actual uh, diagnosable illness. So oftentimes the symptoms will show up more prevalent as an adult because you have more tasks that you're doing. You, your job or your social life requires a lot more juggling of things. And when you're really pushed, then that's when the attentive problems come out. So you may have had it in childhood, 
but it wasn't problematic and it might have just been chalked up to oh well you're just a hyper child or you know you just you have attention problems but it's normal but you do have to have it in childhood in order for it to be a diagnosable disorder so i'm going to give myself as an example um, and I'll give my, let's talk about the genetic component here. I like to use my, my dad as an example. I, I think he'll love that I do that, but he clearly has ADHD. Now, just because you have ADHD does not mean that you need to be medicated. Remember, if it's not affecting um, two of those places, school, work, social life, relationships, getting things done at home, if it's not negatively affecting that, then you don't need to be treated for it. So there are lots of coping mechanisms that you can learn to manage your ADHD symptoms. For example, he is extremely structured and he stays very busy. So having lots of lists of like to-do lists and keeping very organized and being very structured is one of are one of the are the coping mechanisms to manage ADHD symptoms. You need to be moving around a lot and just be very organized. So you can learn to train yourself to manage your symptoms by by moving around throughout the day, staying very organized and writing lists down. So he definitely does those those coping strategies. So he has been able to to manage it. He walks around throughout the day. He sees he's a family practice doctor and he goes from room to room to room and and walks around constantly throughout the day. He's very organized, keeps lots of lists and he's very very structured. But if you have a conversation with him, his attention only lasts for so long and he gets very fidgety and he has a really hard time sitting still or being involved in conversations that last more than a couple of minutes. So that's where the ADHD comes out. But again, he's learned to manage it. So he has has used it to his benefit to be hyperactive because he's able to accomplish a lot and get a lot of things done because he's always on the go and always has this hyperactive component. So there are good components that come with it too, if they're manageable. Um, my mom also um, wasn't diagnosed, but she definitely had a lot of ADHD symptoms. And uh, my twin brother was diagnosed with ADHD at a very young age, and he was on medication for that. Uh, I was at a family breakfast once and I was with my, I have three brothers. I was with my brothers and my dad and my stepmom and my two sister-in-laws and we were all at the table and I was just kind of observing. I think my boyfriend was there at the time. I was just observing the table and all of my family members, my immediate family members were all messing with with stuff on the table. They were twirling things. They were messing with the the straw or the salt shaker or whatever. They were just, they were all fidgeting. None of them were sitting still. All of the other people that were not in my family were calmly 
sitting there and and not fidgeting at all. So it it just goes to show you that there is a big genetic component and there are differences with people that have it and people that that don't. So I thought that was was pretty funny. I was like everyone in my family right now is fidgeting uncontrollably at the table and and no one else is. <laughs> I was like my family is just so messed up, not messed up, but you know, I think that's probably what I said, but but I meant it in a loving way. We're just similar is what uh, the word was. So let's get back to this symptoms have to appear in, in childhood. So you cannot have ADHD show up just in adulthood. But like I said, oftentimes things come easier to to you when you're a child, like you don't really need to pay attention so much or you don't need to be calm and and it's okay to be hyperactive or, or not paying attention to things because it's just life doesn't require that of you. And maybe you don't have a severe case of it, but most likely if the symptoms are getting bad to the point where it's affecting your adult life, you did have the symptoms in childhood. You would just need a parent or a teacher, which you really can't go back and ask teachers, but you would need someone to to confirm that. But that's very difficult to do. So I kind of just assume that these were also present in childhood. They just weren't problematic until now. I get a lot of adults that see me when they're in grad school because they're really pushed to to their limit with the amount of reading they have to do and the amount of concentrating they have to do. Whereas before in their life, they probably didn't have to read that extensive amount of paperwork or they didn't have to sit down and do homework for as long as they do now. So it really shows up later on when you're in a different element and it's required of you to be a lot more attentive. So I hope that made sense. ADHD doesn't just show up in adulthood, but maybe the symptoms are more prevalent because you're pushed more with having to concentrate. But for ADHD, the symptoms have to be present in childhood um, to some degree. Okay, I'm going to use myself as another example. I didn't get diagnosed with ADHD until I was already in grad school. I was actually already done with grad school, the the first round. And I was taking my, uh, my test, my boards, which were four hours. And no matter what I did, I could not sit in that chair for four hours and concentrate. I was falling asleep. I was getting up and taking breaks every half an hour. I I could not concentrate to save my life. Now, this didn't have anything to do with how smart I was because I knew the information, but I couldn't sit there and read and concentrate on what I was reading. I was literally falling asleep like at the top of every half an hour and I had to get up and move around and I was bouncing my leg and I was just so fidgety and I they said there's no way you can run out of time because there's way too much time 
Well, I ran out of time because I couldn't sit still. So when I was at the testing center, I looked around and nobody else was fidgeting or getting up and taking breaks. They thought the, the people at the, the center probably thought I was doing something mischievous or something because I kept getting up and, and walking around. But at that point, when I was taking that test, I knew that something was going on with me that was not going on with everybody else in the testing center. And that's kind of when I decided I need to go get checked out for ADHD because I I need to to do this. And granted, I didn't do I did well on the exam, but I did not pass the exam. So I guess I didn't do that well. But then I said I need help with sitting here and focusing if I'm going to get this test done. So I went and got checked out and got started on some medication for ADHD and the rest is history. But my life has been significantly better on the medication. And uh, when I was working, when I first started working right before I I uh, got on the medication, I was just so far behind in my notes. I was like months behind on my notes when you're supposed to get everything done within 24 hours. And I was just so overwhelmed. I could not keep up with things. It just felt like such a a drag to finish typing a note when I was done with a session. And since being on the medication, I caught up with all of my notes and now I pretty much stay on top of everything and I get everything turned in. So the medication made a significant difference with my working life. And then when I took the test the next time, I was able to um, be more calm about it and I was able to focus for the duration of the test and and passed and and it was fine. But um, it, it just made a big difference. Now, I can't go back. I... I know as a child, I was, you know, hyper and my brother was, was medicated, my twin, because he had a lot, his, his symptoms were more severe than mine as far as the attention and the hyperactivity. So I didn't have as bad of symptoms as he did. And I did really well in school when I was young. So so I never got medicated for it. But here's the thing. I wasn't ever pushed when I was younger. The classes came easy to me. School came easy to me. I never really had to do any any extra studying or or anything like that. So it wasn't until I got to college that I was really pushed to my concentration limits. And that's when it really came out. I remember studying for a test my freshman year of college with my friend and she got an A on the test and I got a C on the test and she goes, Kara, what happened? We studied together. And I was like, yeah, I know. And I just didn't, I didn't get it. I couldn't make sense of it because I, I understood the information, but I, I wasn't doing well on exams and, and all of that. It's because I couldn't, concentrate. I couldn't concentrate in the lectures for an hour lecture 
on something that was very specific and I couldn't concentrate on the, the hour long tests. And I never had that where I had to worry about that until I got to college. There were no hour lectures in high school. I didn't have hour long tests in, in high school. There were just little, little things I didn't need, need to concentrate for. And I would just kind of know the information on my own. I didn't really need to study. They were easy classes. So going from a public high school to a private university was a drastic change. And I honestly don't think it had anything to do with my my capability of of absorbing the material. It was I couldn't concentrate enough to really focus for that duration of time that I needed to, to get all of the information in. So how did I have this, you know, looking back as, you know, same thing with my other, the mood medications I'm on. If I had this medication, I would have been thriving in school, I think, um, instead of what had happened. Now, with a lot of work and determination, I managed to graduate college and um, graduate my my nursing school and master's program without the medication, but it was a struggle. It was not easy. And when I mean not easy, I was having meltdowns. I had to, I paid my little brother multiple times to come sit next to me just so I would sit there and finish things. He would just sit in the room and play on his computer or something. And I said, don't let me leave until I finish this. And I would like fall asleep and I would be thinking about other things. And it was just, it was a nightmare. It would take me so long to complete a very easy assignment. And and it was just because of the the amount of concentration it took to, to finish. And procrastinating is a big component of ADHD and and not finishing tasks once the challenging parts have been done. And, you know, I just, I fit everything to a T. So I really wish I had gotten evaluated before, didn't, whatever. I, I'm better for it, I'm sure. But even when I was in my, um, all of my rotations in, in nursing school and when I was a nurse, when I was training as a nurse and for my nurse practitioner school, I had so many preceptors ask me if something was wrong all the time, like 10 different preceptors. Are you okay? Is there something wrong? And it was just because I couldn't concentrate. I was like thinking about other things. I was, I was daydreaming, which is one of the classic components. And I just felt like I felt like I was trapped and I needed to to leave. It, it was such an awful feeling and I had so much anxiety. And it was because I couldn't sit there and and listen to people talk and absorb the information because I I was just fidgety and I, I needed to move around and and I couldn't concentrate for that long on what people were saying. So I would often get asked if I was okay. And it's like, yeah, I'm okay. I just feel like running away right now and I can't uh, concentrate on anything you're saying. So I'm not going to remember any of this. That's what I wanted to say. But um, I would just say, okay, yeah, I'm good. And uh, 
So thought that was interesting. Um, so I, I'm just curious what I would be like with the medication, if it would just be a, a totally different story. And and I think it, it would be, and I think a lot of things would have gone differently, but maybe I wouldn't have ended up where I'm at. So, you know, I think maybe everything needed to go, uh, the way it went, but if I ran out of my medication, uh, when I moved to California because I needed to get a different provider. And again, I procrastinated on that. And, um, I was out of my medication for about a week and that was the the worst week ever. I almost called off work because I I could not I could talk to patients okay. That part was fine, but it's the charting part and charting all of the notes down after the session. I just couldn't I couldn't get myself to do it. I wanted to do anything else. It was like torture to do these things that on the medication, I didn't even think about. I just did it and got it done. But off of the medication, it was this huge, enormous task that that I just couldn't get myself to do. And I just wanted to, to go in my bed and just sleep and not work. So I'm definitely not going to run out of my medication again. Now, if I'm not working, it's it's not you know that big of a deal because I'm not doing anything that I need to extremely concentrate on. Even though um, I did mention that um, social life relationships is one of the components where ADHD can affect you, my last boyfriend, he, he, uh, we were having a conversation and he printed out a sheet for me and he said, I think I figured out all of our problems. And he brought the sheet to me and it was... Uh, how ADHD in your partner affects your relationships. So basically what he was saying to me is that all of our problems were because I have ADHD and I didn't pay attention and all these different things, which I thought was funny. But now looking back, that's kind of messed up because he didn't look at the part where it says how your partner can help the other partner with ADHD. He just wanted to bring up all the problems I had. So I didn't really appreciate that in the end, but, um, so it did show up in different areas of my life, not just my, my working life. So I think it's just better that I stay on the medication on a regular basis. So that's my experience with it. Um, I want to tell you some experiences of my patients. So I get a lot of all different ages. I get kids and adults. Like I said, a lot of the adults are in grad school. They're doing something that's really pushing their attention to a limit that they haven't been at before. Um, And then I get a lot of kids. Um, The kids are usually failing their classes um, or they, they failed out of one of the, they had to retake a grade. They're just not doing very well in school. So many times have I seen just a complete 180 with the kids and getting their schoolwork done. I've had a lot of parents come to me crying the next session saying that this is a miracle and their kid went from failing all of their classes to now turning in all of their assignments and paying attention in school and the teachers are saying that 
they're doing such a great job and they've seen a huge improvement because a lot of these kids are really smart. They just don't have the capacity to sit still and pay attention and get things done like their their homework and turn things in. They procrastinate, they don't wanna do it, they fall asleep, they, they fight. It's just the last thing that they want and it feels like torture to them. So I know how they feel because that's how I felt when I was in grad school the whole time. I felt like it was torture, I wanted to fall asleep. I, I wanted to do anything but that. So um, I totally get it and they, they completely changed. Now they're getting straight A's. And that's what I hear almost every single time with kids that that go from, from one to the next. Now, just because a child is getting bad grades doesn't necessarily mean that they have ADHD. They have to have the, the symptoms of it. Not everyone is as smart as everyone else, and that's totally fine, but they're might be a child that's not as bright as the other ones, but they don't have any attention problems. They're just struggling with with absorbing the information. They don't they don't get it. And that point is um, or tutoring is really helpful in in that area. But uh, these kids, they're they're actually really smart and they they understand the information. They're just not doing their homework. They're not paying attention to the teachers. They're not sitting still. Um, so time and time again, like I said, so many parents are crying because their kids are doing such a great job. And I wanted to um, bring up, of course, the big controversy, which is, um, you know, there are lots of stereotypes with medication. So I'll hear things like, well, I don't want my kid on that medication because I don't want them to get addicted to it, or um, I don't want my kids drugged up, things like that. So I wish that I could show you a video of a child on the medication and off the medication, because... <laughs> The child off the medication looks like a child that may be on drugs. <laughs> and then the child on the medication is, is a kid that is calmly sitting there, happy, participating in class, raising their hand, talking to the teacher, being polite. That's the kid on medication. So if that's what it looks like to be drugged up, then that that should be a good thing, not a bad thing. The kids never get um, zombie-like or anything from, from the medication. They just get a little more calm, and they sometimes they don't like being calm. They like that hyperactivity com component because it gives them a little, you know, just boost, but it doesn't make them tired at all because it's a stimulant. So it... it it works by stimulating the frontal lobe. And when the frontal lobe gets stimulated, it it causes everything else to kind of disappear. So it hyper-focuses on what's going on at the moment, whether it be schoolwork or listening to the teacher, and it kind of drowns out everything on the side. So that 
is why it works. It's kind of strange to think that you're going to give a child that's hyperactive something that is stimulating to calm them down. But that's exactly what it's doing. It's 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 um, working on the frontal lobe to help them hyper focus. It gives them that stimulation in the brain that kind of tunes everything else out. So it's not adding any energy to their body necessarily. It's um, adding energy to the, the frontal lobe and calming everything else down. And as far as the, I don't want my child to be a drug addict, you, in order to abuse the medication, you would have to be taking a much higher dose than is prescribed, and you would have to be taking it in an incorrect manner. So you would have to go way out of your way to purposely abuse the medication. If you're taking it as prescribed, it is not addictive and it is not abusable. So you would, like I said, like if you're snorting the medication and you're snorting really high doses of it, then that's different. Yes, you can get a um, kind of like a cocaine type of, of feeling from that, but you would have to be going out of, way out of your way to do that. And um, like I said, it is not addicting if you're taking it as prescribed. So that's that part. Your child will not get addicted to the medication if they're taking it as prescribed. If your child wants to take a whole bottle and snort it, then that's probably not going to be good. But I don't, I don't think my patients are uh, doing that. I think they're all just taking it as they're supposed to. Um, because you wouldn't even be able to this is very uh, heavily regulated and you you wouldn't even be able to get enough um, to to do that and get get high continuously. It would be very difficult. You'd have to be getting it from like multiple providers and and doing it in a, in a very weird way. So that's that. Not abusable if you're taking it as prescribed and you don't get addicted to it, you don't get a dependency on it. So an addiction is when you have a dependency on something and you don't have a dependency on the medication. You can stop taking it and you're not gonna go through withdrawals or anything like that. You're gonna be fine. Uh, but the thing is, your baseline now of functioning is at a different level and now you're at a higher functioning on a routine basis. So a lot of people get used to that feeling. So sometimes they'll want more or a higher dose of medication to get even more of that like higher functioning. Or if they don't have it, they'll see such a drastic difference because they forgot what their baseline was like. So they're not addicted to it, but they're trying to go back to that higher baseline that they were at before because now they're used to that, to functioning in that way. So not addiction, but now your baseline is different and that's why people want to keep taking it. Like I said, the week that I ran out, I couldn't function, but that's probably where I would have been at without the medication in the first place. But the um, going back to your baseline after you've been taking the medication for a while is very difficult to do 
you don't realize how bad it was in the first place. So that's why it's not great when you stop taking the medication, but your body's not dependent on it in any way. So I hope that made sense. Um, another thing is the, the side effects of the medication. So if you're looking at the pros and the cons, the pros definitely outweigh the cons. There is nothing showing that um, the stimulants are bad on a long-term basis. There's no increased risk of cardiovascular events if you're taking it as prescribed. The thing is you need to make sure you don't have any underlying heart condition. So if you haven't been diagnosed with an underlying heart condition, then um, you don't really need to do any more research. You're okay to take it without any specific test. So before they were saying that you need an EKG before prescribed stimulants, but now um, they're saying that that's not necessary. So you don't really need any baseline test before starting a stimulant. Some of the main side effects are decreased appetite. So it definitely decreases your appetite. You might forget to eat meals. So a child that is like really thin to begin with might not be able to be on a stimulant because they're already so underweight. In that case, there are other medications that are non-stimulants, such as Stratera, Wellbutrin, Clonidine, and Tenex. And um, these are ADHD medications that are, are not stimulants, so they're not in that category. Um, I don't really, I've, I've prescribed Wellbutrin and Clonidine and Tenex. Um, I just, they're, they're not as effective as the stimulants. So I'll only really prescribe that if, if they really can't be on a stimulant. Another reason um, to avoid a stimulant, sometimes um, kids can get extra irritable on stimulants. That doesn't happen too often, but I have seen that. So um, it can create a lot of like anger and rage. So if that happens, then they really shouldn't be on a stimulant because that's going to, the cons are going to weigh, weigh out the pros in that case. Um, it can create insomnia if you take it too late in the day, or sometimes if you don't take it too late in the day, some people report a hard time sleeping, but usually my patients, if they take it early on enough, I say, take the, if you're going to take two doses, take the, the dose at least eight hours before you go to bed, then that's usually not a problem. And sometimes it can cause irritability when you're when the medication's getting out of your system at the end of the day. Um, but that hasn't been too bad, but I definitely have, have heard that. So there are long-acting stimulants and short-acting stimulants. The long-acting ones will last throughout the day. Some of them are 10 hours. There's one that's 16 hours. And those um, long-acting ones, I see more of the the anger and irritability at the end of the day when it's getting out of your system. And then the short acting ones usually uh, work about four to five hours and you take it twice a day instead of once a day. I don't hear as much about the irritability with that. It can, um, the medication can increase anxiety, tics, um, OCD and skin picking. So this is another one that I need to be careful with because um, I have some patients that have really bad 
uh, skin picking or ticks. So we just have to, again, weigh the pros and the cons and make sure they're on medication for the skin picking at the same time that they're on the medication for the ADHD and just weigh the pros and the cons of, of each one. But usually, you know, it's, if you're working with a psychiatrist, it's, uh, it's easier to manage that. And as far as the anxiety, I, it, it can increase anxiety because it's a stimulant. However, if your anxiety is stemming from problems paying attention, then most often I find that the, by adding a stimulant, it makes um, a lot of patients' anxiety better. So I find that in most cases, their anxiety gets a lot better because they're able to pay attention finally. And, um, and you need to make sure that you're, it can increase your heart rate and it can increase your blood pressure. So the only underlying uh, factor you need to watch out for is uh, blood pressure. So I don't prescribe stimulants to patients if their blood pressure is 140 over 90 or above. I make sure that they get that managed first um, before they they start that. And um, let's go over some of the different stimulants. So there are uh, mostly three different types of stimulants. You've got Adderall and Ritalin and Vyvanse, and those come in different, uh, lots of different kinds of medications. So you've got Adderall, you've got Adderall XR, amphetamine salts, um, there's, uh, Ritalin, Concerta, it's also called methylphenidate, it's also called, um, so that's the methylphenidate-based medications, and then the Vyvanse is, uh, dextromethamphetamine-based. So those are the three types of stimulants, amphetamine salts, methylphenidate-based, and, uh, dextromethamphetamine-based. Um, all of them are effective, so it doesn't really matter which one you start out with. Some people just prefer one versus the other, just like with the other medications. I usually start with Adderall, and I usually start with 5 milligrams twice a day to see how that works. That's the, the lowest uh, starting dose, so again, the lowest and uh, most of the lowest, most effective dose is where you want to stay. The Vyvanse has a very low potential for abuse. So if you have anybody with a history of um, drug abuse in the past, then the Vyvanse might be a good option for them. And I just want to say again that um, all of the... Stereotypes and judgments are out there for people taking this medication because there are people that abuse it. And I don't think that's typical, but it's it's really unfortunate because I have seen these medications make such a drastic improvement in kids' lives, parents' lives, and adults' lives. So it's really a, a good medication, you know, when it's used properly and you're you're being prescribed it by a, a physician that knows what they're they're doing. So I can't um, I don't have any complaints about it. I think it's it's great actually.
I have a one of my really good friends. She sent me a picture this morning of her child who was or a video of her child who was sitting down doing his homework and he was he was just reading out loud what what he was working on and he was just sitting calmly working on his homework. The only reason that kid was able to sit there and do his homework is because he is on stimulants and he's on the right dose. Had he not been on his medication, he would not be sitting there doing his homework. He would be running around and screaming and and definitely not doing homework. So she was almost like in tears because of the the improvements she has seen with him with medication. So it, it really makes a difference from kids failing school to thriving in school because, again, it has nothing to do with intelligence. It just helps kids calm down and, and focus on what they need to focus on. And that's our society today. Our society requires a great deal of focus and requires kids to go to school and sit there for hours on end and listen to teachers and to do hours of homework. So if that wasn't society's requirements, then maybe these kids wouldn't need to be on medication. They could just run around and be free and and be themselves. But because the societal norms these days require this this degree of attention, it's it's necessary for some kids to have medicine in order to accomplish that. So, you know, we're not we're not out in the the woods hunting prey anymore. This is a civilized society and some people just need a little extra help fitting into those societal norms because without the help, then um, it's it's difficult. Life is very difficult for them. Um, and that's all I have on the ADHD. If you guys have any extra questions, if I missed something, then please uh, write to me and let me know. All of that information is going to be at the end of the podcast. I appreciate you guys so much for tuning in, and I hope you all got something out of it today. Okay, take care, everybody. Hope you have good holidays with your families, or if you're quarantining, good holidays on your own. Hopefully, you're Skyping with some family or friends, but all you guys take care. All right, happy holidays. Bye. I appreciate you all for listening to my podcast. I hope that you guys got something out of it. Um, If you need to reach me or have any questions, please contact me um, on Facebook at Carousel FNP. I'm also on Instagram, Kara PMHNP. And my website is healthandwellnesspsychiatry.com. You can reach me on there. Um, My Gmail is healthandwellnesspsychiatry.com psychiatry at gmail.com. So please uh, reach out to me with any questions or comments. I would love to hear from you. Okay. Thanks guys.